Well, the retirement planning world is filled with plenty of advice and suggestions, but there are some very critical questions that often get overlooked. They go unasked, and these questions actually can help define the comfort and security of your retirement future. So today on this episode of Perfect Game Retirement, we're going to tackle some of these hidden but essential questions about your retirement. Welcome to the Perfect Game Retirement Podcast with former professional baseball player and now financial coach at Black Oak Asset Management, Ryan Ledman. This show will help you make the right financial decisions so you can pitch a perfect game in retirement. Here's the wind-up and the delivery. Well, glad to have you back on the podcast. I'm Ben Jordan, Ryan Lennon, President and Financial Coach at Black Oak Asset Management. Ryan, what's going on today? Um, just enjoying uh, October. Uh, again, I know this comes out a little bit later, but again, great time of year with baseball and football. I mention that all the time, but it's... Uh, it's the best, but we're, our Braves are, are barely hanging on by a thread. So, again, when by the time this comes out, we'll know their fate, whether they win two in a row and continue on or um, have the Phillies thump them again. Um, yeah. <laughs> seems yeah. to be a reoccurring theme lately. It's been a uh, highly energized uh, series for sure. It's, and that game, too, was one of the best finishes I think I've ever seen. I cannot remember the last time I've watched a baseball game in my house and literally jumped out of my seat and screamed really loud. I mean, my wife was like, I haven't seen you act like that before in a baseball game. Like, it's almost like you were playing again. I'm like, I kind of felt like I was for a couple seconds. Because, <laughs> yeah, I think they said, like, it's that either in history or playoff history, like that combination, like that, that's never happened before as far as a double play from a, what is that, an eight? five three double play like that just never never happens i know <laughs> i mean I, I get i get harper being aggressive on the base path base paths but it feels like he still could have been hanging out by second base and had that ball mm-hmm. been dropped still been able to score but worked out well for atlanta yeah i mean so many so many teaching moments there as a softball baseball coach i mean from you're right he should have been right hovering right by second base almost like you said foot on the base so as soon as he catches it He's going back because he still could have easily scored if he misses that ball. But we always preach on defense, you you have to be somewhere. It's either you're playing the ball, you're covering your base, or you're backing up somewhere. And you can preach that until you're blue in the face, and it still doesn't happen all the time. But that was a perfect case scenario where, I mean, it looked like Albies easily had a beat on that ball coming in, but even he let that ball eat him up. And he's probably going to look back at that video and go, what in the world? Because we always teach our players, like, either go up and get the short hop or back up and get the long hop. And he just got the in-between hop, which I'm sure Ron Washington was wearing him out in a fun way, but wearing him out. Like, what are you doing? And that's it. You're just standing there. And the ball's coming all the way in from the outfield. Anyway, and for Riley to release from the base and then to come over and backhand that ball and throw on the run like that and throw a perfect strike, it was it was crazy. And Matt Olson never shows emotion. And for him yeah. to, like, yell like that, I was like, whoa, that's, that's pretty exciting. <laughs> <laughs> pretty nuts, pretty nuts. Well, hopefully they'll still be playing when this episode comes out. Um, but if not, still a really good season. I know disappointing the way it finished, but – few teams have felt like that I think this postseason so no doubt kind of the par for the course it seems like this year (laughs) yeah it does well we got a good good show for you today we're going to jump in here in just a second to retirement planning's hidden questions if you have any questions for Ryan or maybe you have an answer to these questions we go through today and you want to address them you can always log on blackoakam.com schedule a retirement coach 360 session online there Ryan. before we get started I want to throw a little getting to know you question your way I know with 
with the busy work schedule and a couple of young kids, you probably don't have the uh, the luxury of be- being able to hit the snooze button in the mornings. But back when you had the choice, uh, are you a morning person or do you hit that snooze button um, when, it, when that alarm goes off? I should probably get my wife to answer this question. Yeah. She'll roll her eyes. Uh, no, I'm not a snooze person. I, I, I mean, granted, has it happened before? Yes, but... I'm usually, as soon as that alarm goes off within seconds, I'm hitting off and then I'm out of bed. Um, I just I have this weird skill that I'm able to do that. And my wife is the complete opposite. She has to lay there and hit snooze a couple times and then sit in bed and figure out if she wants to wake up completely. But yeah, I'm, I'm kind of that annoying, uh, annoying person in the morning where I get up and get going now. Come eight thirty nine o'clock at night, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> so my family makes fun of me because I start dozing off on the sofa. But uh, but <laughs> I'm always up for like three hours before they even get up. So you know, give or take. That's great. Yeah. It's I know as you get older, it seems like those those mornings start shifting earlier and earlier. But um, I'm kind of with you. I'll never hit the the snooze, but I'm a little I'm a little slower to wake up. But I'm more and more like as soon as it's uh it's time. Let's go. But as, with young kids, it's like if you can get to seven, you've uh, <laughs> you've had a long, yes. long night. So uh, it's a luxury for sure. All right. Well, let's hop into it today on the show. We are talking about the hidden questions in retirement, things that maybe don't get asked that need to and things that need to need answers for sure. So let's start with a question that, you know, when you're thinking about taxes and how much you're going to have and 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 money in, in retirement, you know, you got to figure out how much in taxes you're going to owe on that tax deferred savings you've been doing for a lot of your life. And for, for a lot of people, this is probably a, a pretty big chunk of their money, right? It is. And it's a moving target. And, and I feel like we address this a lot on the, on this show. And I was kind of thinking about the show today, this morning, randomly, I'm like, I kind of feel like sometimes we talk about the same things, but then I think, okay, think about other uh, people who have podcasts that you, you have to be, um, you have to drill down certain topics that are just going to, cause you're going to have new listeners or people who listen and maybe they need to hear this three, four, five, six, seven, ten 10 times plus, and then go, okay, I got to do something about this. So, so I need to be, continue to be passionate about it because the, the tax defer, I mean, that's a big part of our job is not just the, you know, managing the assets for people, but it's managing the tax ramifications now and in the future, and again, it's a little bit of a moving target because sometimes we, well, not sometimes, we're, we're not going to know what tax rates are going to be depending on when you retire. Now, if obviously you're on the retiring now or in the next year, we at least know that. But even there's some uncertainty in a couple years. And, and then certainly 10, 20, 30 years from now, there's definite uncertainty. So again, it's a moving target, but all we can really do is plan on what we know now and what maybe projected it could be down the road. So tax deferred savings, you know, a lot of people put put money into a pre-tax savings vehicle, whether that's a 457, a 401A, a 403B, 401K. They're all somewhat similar. There's some nuances that are slightly different that, you know, for today's show is not, uh, not the topic of discussion. But putting that money in pre-tax and then taking it out, letting it grow tax deferred and then taking it out and you have to pay taxes on it. Well, again, we've talked about on this show before. A lot of people think, okay, I'm in a higher tax bracket now. I'm going to be in a lower tax bracket later in retirement, and that may be the case. Uh, many times, you're in the same tax bracket, 
it, it does happen. And so that tax deferred savings really doesn't do a whole lot. It's almost like, hey, put it in a in a after-tax vehicle, whether that's a Roth IRA or a Roth 401k, Roth 403b. Go ahead and put that money in. Don't get the tax deduction for the current year. Let it grow tax deferred and then tax free as long as you, you know, leave it in there until 59 and a half. You have the five-year rule you have to think about. You have to have that in there for five years before we pay any taxes or penalties as well. But because so much of your taxable income affects other things in retirement, whether that's your Social Security benefit, whether that's your Medicare premiums, it's, it funnels and runs down through your tax form, uh, your 1040 to where it affects other things that you pay for. So it's not just what, how much tax am I paying? Am I in the 12% or the 22? It spills over into so many other avenues of your retirement life. And if you're not thinking about that, and if you're young and you are saving in this tax deferred vehicle, you could have a large sum of money in there and you have no wiggle room because depending on when you were born, you have to start taking money out at age 73, 74, 75. It just depends what your required minimum distributions are gonna be. So if you have a large amount of pre-tax money, you have no choice at those ages that you are forced to take that money out at least a certain amount. You may not need that money. You may have other sources of income. You may have a pension. You may have good social security. And you don't have to take that money out where you do have to take that money out. The IRS is making you do that. And if you don't, you pay huge excise penalty, excise taxes, which is basically 25% of the amount that you're supposed to take out. So if you're supposed to take out 10 grand, you pay 2,500 just in penalties and you got to take the 10,000 out if you don't do it. So again, so many things to consider. But that's where we have to take a look at where your federal tax rates now, how much wiggle room do you have within the tax bracket you're in, and let's take as much advantage of the tax code as we can. All right. So that's a big one to kind of start off with. Uh, that's a question that needs to be answered. It might be a moving target, as Ryan talked about, but still something you have to work through. All right. Uh, second question here we need to address is, you know, we save throughout our life, and then once you get into retirement, it's about how, you, how do you build that income from what you've saved. So part of that is figuring out how much can I withdraw from my savings each year? Yeah, speaking of moving targets, this is kind of a moving target as well because, you know, we, we look at, if you Google the 4% rule, that comes up. That was kind of the standard, hey, whatever my nest egg is, I can take 4% out. Well, that maybe that's the case. I, I mean, that's maybe kind of a general rule to start with, but it all depends on what your income needs are each year, and it depends on how much you keep versus how much taxes you have to pay. So, and now savings, glorified cash, if you will, is actually paying a little bit of money. Um, again, some money market mutual funds are hovering around five to five and a quarter percent. Well, for some people, if they're taking out 4%, well, there you go. There's a there, there's an arbitrage there of a gain. Uh, you're taking out four and you're getting five, five and, five and a half, five and a quarter. That's great. Well, that hasn't always been the case. Uh, the last 20 years, that has not always been the case. Luckily, the stock market has done very well. So you can start with the 4% rule to, to see what that looks like. Uh, you may have to go down a little bit. Maybe some of you can go up a little bit, but whatever your nest egg is, if it's a million, the general rule is, hey, take out around $40,000 and your nest egg should pretty much stay intact. Well, Depends on your age. Depends on, uh, you know, some people want to leave a legacy. If some people don't want to leave a legacy and you're older, well, okay, you can probably take out more than that because you'll, you'll eat into the principal amount too as well as the gains. 
so you won't maybe have as much to pass on. So that depends on the individual or the other couple, what they want to leave behind. Some people it's a priority, some, some it's not. But you can start with around the 4% uh, withdrawal rate or what you can take out each year from your savings. But again, that's just a very blanket general rule and it really depends on your on your situation your income needs taxes a lot of different things but you can start with four percent and kind of backtrack from there all right we're talking about some hidden questions if uh, anything comes up that maybe you haven't thought about or would really like to discuss a bit further you can always get in touch with ryan at blackoakam.com or over the phone at 470-508-0508 Life insurance is a is a good tool for a lot of people, and it's used, I know, for younger families and for people while they're working to replace their income. But the question that comes up that, that or doesn't come up as much, but maybe should, is, you know, do I still need to have that life insurance policy when I'm retired? I mean, that's another it depends. Uh, I've never, and I've had to deliver a few life insurance checks to spouses. And I've mentioned this before on here, I've never had one person upset that they received a life insurance proceed because uh, that's liquid money that you get relatively quick. And for the most part, it's tax-free. So I've never had someone complain about it. Obviously, they're grieving and going through a hard time and receiving money that they can use to pay for final expenses, help their income, whatever it may be. I've never had anybody complain about it. So do you need it? Eh, should I should I have life insurance when I'm retired? I always hear from younger people, oh, well, by then I'm self-insured. I'll have my house paid for. I'll have this. I'll have this. Well, okay, in our minds, great. Okay, how, what are we doing to get to that point where our house is paid off and we have $2 million in assets and kids are off the payroll and they're out of the house? Well, yeah, that may be the case, but what if it's not? So I, I'm a big proponent of having it. Uh, obviously, I don't want it to break the bank and, and have to pay too much for it, but I think it's a good thing. Right now, to have life insurance to pay for estate tax purposes is really not a big need because estate taxes only affect people with $12.92 million. Well, most people don't have that. <laughs> so when when the estate tax was way uh, exemption was way less than that, life insurance was almost a have to have because if you had anything over a million bucks, it was taxed at 40%, which is crazy to think about. And it wasn't that long ago. So there's a lot of people that had over a million dollars net worth. So they had to have life insurance to be able to cover the tax bill of that 40% over a million dollars. So it can get really complex and complicated right now for estate tax purposes. You really don't need life insurance, but if you have it, I, I, I wouldn't cancel it, um, especially if it's affordable. Just keep it keep it intact. I mean, what's that extra 100 bucks a month or 75 or whatever your premium is? I mean, that's really not making a huge dent in your budget. And if, God forbid, something happens, you, you know, there's a large influx of cash for those that you leave behind. So I don't think you necessarily need it. Um, some people probably, sh- more people should probably have it than they think. All right. Uh, what about medical coverage? Another thing that comes up in your discussions in terms of health insurance, but I think people might just kind of assume that, hey, Medicare, you know, once it kicks in, I think that's going to cover most of my stuff. I'm not really as worried about health care costs, but Medicare doesn't cover everything, right? So the question really that you need to get answered is what kind of medical coverage are you going to need over and beyond Medicare? Yeah, it's got a lot of holes in it. Um, you can add, so part A is hospital, part B 
is um, doctor's coverage, but it's an 80-20. So that 20% can really hamstring people if they have big events that they have to pay for from a medical standpoint. Not Don't pretend to be a med- Medicare expert. We have someone in our office who helps people with that. But the, that 20% kind of copay, that can be expensive. Uh, so that's where Medicare supplement comes in. There's also a Medicare Advantage. Uh, but supplemental plans, you can go through and really nail down, okay, this is what we need in addition to, this is what we want covered. Obviously, that comes at a cost. It comes at a monthly premium cost. Uh, also, Medicare does not cover um, long-term care. I mean, they're, they, if you meet certain requirements, I think there's like three requirements, um, maybe okay. more, that Medicare will cover long-term care, but it's for 20 days, that's it. And then after 20 days, there's it's, it's kind of a formula on how much you do pay and how much they pay. But don't think Medicare is a long-term care insurance plan. It's not. Uh, I'm not saying buy long-term care insurance. Maybe you should, but you need to factor that in and not factor Medicare into that long-term care planning need. So uh, there's ways to go above and beyond Medicare. Uh, you just have to add on supplemental plans, but that depends on uh, on how much you want to pay and maybe what your prescription drugs are. So there's there's a lot of things to think about, but there's things to add on uh, just on top of Medicare A and B. All right, got a couple more questions I want to run by you, Ryan. I know one that maybe didn't get brought up a whole lot, or people weren't thinking about very often uh, up until a couple of years ago, is is how inflation is going to impact them. I think. Now, obviously, you, you've kind of noticed it, and people are maybe asking this to you a little bit more often, but why does inflation often get overlooked? Yeah, you're right, because the, the past couple of decades, it hasn't been a big issue, but it can be kind of the silent killer of your retirement plan, because if you don't factor it in, you know, you look up 10, 20 years later, and the cost, that, that 2 to 3% has really crept in, and you start to realize, holy cow, so if you don't build in your retirement income plan, with inflation, you're going to be in trouble. Now, lately, it's been difficult to navigate from a retirement income plan standpoint because the last couple of years, how high it's been. So if you put in 8% like we've seen in your retirement plan, the numbers are insane. But you, you have it's not going to be 8% forever. If it's 8% for, forever, we got problems, hmm. huge problems. Yeah. Um, so you have to factor that in. Again, that's why the Federal Reserve is trying to do what they're doing. They're trying to raise interest rates to slow things down. So they're trying to pump the brakes on the economy a little bit, not necessarily like throw us into a recession per se, which we could argue that, that technically we're, we have been in one, but the media won't say it. Anyway, that's beside the point. But you do need to factor in inflation. Like today, as the recording of this, uh, Social Security may be the only inflation hedge that some people have. And in this past year, it was 8.7, I think 8.7% cost of living raise or living adjustment. And then for next year, it's 3.2. So the the formula the Social Security Administration uses calculated and says, hey, we're going to give a 3.2% raise for next year, which, yeah, I get some people like, oh, we're not going to get as bigger, quote unquote, cost of living adjustment. But at the same time, that means maybe that inflation number is slowing down by the metrics that the Social Security Administration uses. So that's a good thing. So that may be the only inflation hedge that people have. But when you build a retirement income plan, you got to at least put three to four percent increase each year because that's that's what it's average and that's what it's going to do. And if you don't account for it, you, you could have some problems. 
All right. One last question we want to bring to your attention here. And, you know, this question probably wasn't asked for, for a very long time, but I think this is one that's kind of popping up more and more. And so if you haven't thought about it, you probably should be. But should I be planning for the cost of caring for elderly parents? Yeah, that's that's probably the biggest topic of discussion that I have had with clients lately. And, hmm. and again, maybe completely a separate topic just to discuss on itself. But to be aware of that, be aware of what your your elderly or aging parents have, because maybe they have enough money to sustain what type of care or longevity that they may have. But just being aware of what they have and what they don't have. Because if you're aware of what they don't have, then you need to start making plans for it because it's going to fall on somebody. And some people may say, oh, well, Medicaid. Eh, okay. I mean, we, that's a whole other topic of discussion too. You definitely don't want Medicaid type care when it comes to a long-term care facility. I've, I've, I've seen them. Uh, they're very different than the paid uh, long-term care facilities. So, but that may be what, what has to happen um, depending on your situation. But being aware of what they have and what they don't have. And you may have to supplement some of that cost to either keep them at home or to hire in-home care. I mean, it's because of the baby boomer generation is aging every single day. We have, I have more and more clients that have aging parents moving in with them or they're having to find care for them. At the same time, they have their kids either coming back from school or maybe they're in high school about to go to college. So you, that mean a lot of my clients are the definition of a sandwich generation and that's what they're having to deal with and they're having to be cognizant of it. So be aware of what your aging parents have. That way you can make a plan for it. Yeah, it's a, it's a big one and, and one that can, can really cost your retirement if you aren't thinking about it and planning for it. So like all these questions, they might not be top of mind uh, for you and don't get asked a lot, but they are uh, some key planning discussions that need to take place with your financial professional. If you don't have one or need someone to talk with, you can always get in touch with Black Oak Asset Management at 470-508-0508 or online at blackoakam.com. Ryan, I'm going to ask you a question here before we get out, a mailbag question, I think a good one for today's episode. It came in from David. He says, I am just I just turned 72 and I'm about to retire. I recently took a look at how much I'll have to start withdrawing from my IRAs and 401k because I'm old and they're forcing me to make withdrawals. <laughs> Between my social security and the money they're forcing me to take out, I'll have a higher income in retirement than I have right now while I'm working. Can they really make me withdraw that much? Man, teed up, David. Appreciate that. Um, <laughs> it's <laughs> like right in tune with what we're talking about today. So yep. uh, case in point, yeah, I mean, that's where, and it's no fault of David, that David may only have had access to pre-tax accounts. Now his nest egg is is so high that he's having to take his required minimum distribution and with his social security and that he's he's making making more than he did before. Well, David, here's some here's some options for you. Now, once you take that required minimum distribution, David, the IRS doesn't care what you do with it. Now you can't put it back into retirement accounts, but if you want to open up a brokerage account and put it in there, you certainly can. You don't have to just keep it in savings. Some people do, but there you can reinvest it. It just can't be in a Roth or an IRA if you don't have earned income. So that's kind of a stipulation there, but they they can they they will make you take that much out every single year. So your next possible solution, David, is to start doing Roth conversions with your pre-tax money. Now you got to pay the tax bill on it, and it could be a hefty tax bill. But once it's in that Roth, you don't pay 
tax again to the federal government. They don't make you. Once it's in a Roth IRA, there is no required minimum distribution anymore. So maybe over the next seven to 10 years, David, let's, you should start making a plan of, okay, how do I, how do I convert the rest of my IRA over the next seven, eight, 10 years, whatever it may be, whatever you can afford to pay a tax bill for, once it's in the Roth IRA, never pay required minimum distributions again. So that's one way out of it. It, it, it may cause a little bit of pain because you do have to pay the Treasury Department that tax money, but they're going to get theirs anyway, David. And you're seeing that now. You, they're they're going to take it no matter what. Maybe you just speed that process up and kind of unhook the IRS from you once that money's in a Roth IRA. So definitely, definitely factor in and think about Roth conversions. All right. Great question. And yeah, perfect timing for today's episode. So Again, withdrawals, uh, something to really be thinking about and planning for with your retirement. So we will close it out on that note again. Log on, blackoakam.com. You'll be able to learn a lot more about what Ryan and his team can offer you, uh, a lot of their planning uh, items they cover, strategies, that sort of thing. But you can also get your Retirement Coach 360 session booked now. Of course, Ryan is a Ramsey, a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro and, uh, and happy to sit down with you and begin your planning process. Also, make sure you check out the YouTube channel. Some more uh, video content being put up there every week as well and, and some really good uh, look into some different topics that, that Ryan sees uh that's very important for people that are coming in the office every day and try to address that in some shorter videos, but I think very helpful. So check out YouTube when you get a chance as well. All right, Ryan, uh, we appreciate your time as always and uh, glad to kind of go through some of these questions with you. Absolutely. The Perfect Game Retirement Podcast is brought to you by Black Oak Asset Management, serving the greater Atlanta area with offices in Alpharetta and Macon. The show is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to the show on your favorite app today and never miss an episode. Just search for Perfect Game Retirement to find us. You can also visit blackoakam.com to listen to past episodes, to contact Ryan Ledner, and to learn more about how to pitch a perfect game in retirement. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Please consult with a qualified professional before taking any action. Securities and registered investment advisory services offered through Silver Oak Securities, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Black Oak Asset Management and Silver Oak Securities, Inc. are not affiliated.